The Bible is just filled from the very beginning to the end with plant life. It begins with a garden. It's ending with a tree of life. It's beginning with life at the beginning. And at the end, it's ending with life. And life comes from a seed, whether it's human life, whether it's plant life, animal life. It's all coming from a seed being placed to a place where it can be nourished. Whenever I was a little boy or a teenager, my granddaddy, that's what I called him, granddaddy. He was a rough man, chain smoker, cursor, all these things. But he loved gardening. I was a lot like my eldest son, full of energy, unbridled. And my grandmother would send me out of the house all the time to go outside to give her peace. She would bake with my brother indoors, and I would be outside working with my grandfather, granddaddy. But I remember one summer in particular, I was a little bit older. I was a little bit more able to listen, my early teenage years. And um, he had these wooden beds, these wooden short raised beds. And he would go there with his gas-powered tiller. He'd till up the ground, and he would have his fertilizer and his sand, and he would till up the ground, and he would go to the feed and seed, the good old feed and seed there in the country, find the best seeds. These are the best ones. These are the best ones. He always had the best ones he just knew about. He'd plant those seeds, and he had an irrigation system. And then they would grow. He was so careful, the seeds that he planted. He was so careful, the environment that he gave those seeds because he had an expected end in his heart and in his mind. Everything he did was working towards that end. And uh, whenever they grew up a little bit more, we'd check them three times a day. 7 a.m., lunchtime, just before we ate, and then about 4 or 5 p.m. He'd go out there, he'd pick things off, he'd clean up the bed. He was a perfectionist. And uh, he'd say, Andrew, you see that cucumber right there? See that squash right there? Let's, we're going to get a Sharpie. We're going to mark it. Watch. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. Granddaddy's not lying to you. He said, we're going to come back, and they're going to grow, and you're going to see. And sure enough, he, I don't know what he had in that soil, but those things would grow. Amazingly, sometimes a quarter inch, a half an inch between the morning and, the, and lunch or the evening, he had it so juiced up. <laughs> and he'd tell me, Andrew, there's nothing better than popping one of those cherry tomatoes into your mouth. One that you grew yourself, pick right off the vine, or a big tomato, cut it open, put salt and pepper on it. I see people smiling because I'm like, this is, this is resonating. <laughs> but that was so special. I'll never forget my granddaddy, and I'll never forget his garden, and I'll never forget. I don't have his green thumb. I don't have the self-discipline and the perfection to do what he did. But I have my memories with him and what he did. He sowed seeds with a, an expected end. But if he had never prepared the ground, he never would have had a harvest. If he had never cared for what was planted, there never would have been vegetables to eat. There never would have been the delight that came from the careful placing of his hand to the work. And I want to talk about sowing seeds of spiritual intimacy. Go to Genesis 1, please. Genesis 1, verses 11 to 13, it says, And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding according to their own kinds, trees are bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. 
From the very beginning, we were called to be farmers. Very interesting. From the very beginning, even before the fall, work was given. Had no sweat, had no toil, but we were always called to labor. We were always called to it, which is why we can find such satisfaction in the work that God gives us whenever we give it to him. But whenever that seed is sown, contains in it life that is going to reproduce after its kind. Just like Jesus said, he, he always appealed to the idea of seeds and sowers because he was speaking to people who understood. And he said that if I sow one type of seed, you know, a fig tree is not going to come from a, an olive vine and uh, olive tree and vice versa. It's not going to come. But whatever it is and the nature is in it is going to come out. It's a natural law. Whatever we sow, whatever spiritually, mentally, even physically, Whatever I'm sowing into my body, the food I'm eating, if I'm eating jelly donuts, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm to have a jelly donut, Andrew, you know? It's, it just doesn't matter. Whatever it is, that is what is going to be produced. It's not karma. It's something that God has simply programmed, developed, and placed into life, into life. And Galatians captures this. I want you to read with me tonight, please. We're going to go to the book of Galatians Paul picked up on his Lord and Savior's analogies of planting and things like this. He used sports analogies, which I think is pretty cool because he was speaking to people in, uh, in cultures that were dominated by sports like we are. But in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, he said this. And God, give us ears to hear. Give me ears to hear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. This is a very individual thing. Now, this, this principle would be true in a church, right? Whatever's going to come from the pulpit, the teaching, and people in the body, especially from the top, it will affect those. It will affect me as a father into my family. It's going to produce something. But there is something that's being said here that's very personal between us and God. Whatever one sows, that That will he or she also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. There is a harvest. There is a time where what we have labored in will come to pass, even if it is whenever we see him face to face. All of it will come to pass and will bring fruit of one type or another. It could be a bramble bush. could be a whole load of burrweed. But it's going to produce something. It's going to produce something. Now the context here is to give to those who are faithful to teach the word of God to us. To give of our goodness and our goods and our, uh, our, our finances and, and giving. Maybe even volunteering our time ourselves to those. But it's also speaking of our flesh. It's also speaking perhaps about fleshly teachers. Like Pastor Lee has said many times, that is why we see some of the corrupt teachings and the people riding in the jets with these big ministries because people sow their financial seed into them. And so it proliferates. It proliferates across the ground. You know, it's harder to grow something good than it is to just let weeds grow. You will have something that grows up. You're like, wow, look at this tree. But then whenever you start to pull it out, it's a really big 
weed that had really shallow roots. But how many of us know that to actually grow tomatoes and keep it healthy and not overwater it and see it splitting down the side, it takes calculated effort, calculated effort. And so Paul is telling these people they need to be careful. They need to be careful what they're sowing into. Our spiritual life is tied to what we sow into it. What type of seeds are we sowing into our lives? We're sowing something. We are. You can say, well, maybe I'm not sowing a whole lot. I'm kind of neutral. No, you're not. You're actually sowing to your flesh. Me too. There's not a neutral. There's not a coast in Christian. It's just, there's just not. We're sowing something. Whether it's two hours in front of the TV at night and look, you know what? If God gives you a, a, a time to relax sometime and you've been working hard and you get the two hours in front, I mean, receive it from the Lord, you know what I mean? But if it's, but if I'm just like vegging out, you know, just all day long, not touching the Bible, all these things, I am sowing something. It's whatever's coming in, whatever I'm hearing, something is being sowed. And it's also saying in this verse, we should do good to those in our community right here, our community of Christ followers. And then there's going to be health. And then there will be needs that are met whenever they arise within this local body. And then elsewhere, elsewhere after the needs here are met. That's what we're seeing. Even the prophet Hosea spoke about spiritual sowing. He said in chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Sow righteousness, reap steadfast love. I mean, that's, that's good, right? That sounds really nice. But you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. Well, no wonder, right? They plowed iniquity. That's what they were planting. That's what they were dealing in. And they reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because that's all that they were sowing. And so it bore fruit. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Hosea, the whole premise of that book is a whorish nation that has turned her back on the one true God who loves her. And they were eating the fruit of their own ways. And the prophet Hosea from the heart of God pleading, if you would just come to me, you would have not these things and justice and wickedness and pain and lies, but you would have life. You would have me. You would have me. Don't sow sin. It's just pain. But, but sow those things that lead to me. He's talking about sowing and reaping. What I sow today, and I'm going to repeat myself some, I will reap down the road. My thought life, that one glance, that one thought, whatever it is, whatever it's covetousness, whether it's lust, that one thought of jealousy, whatever we are allowing itself, whatever it is, let's not excuse ourselves. If it's harbored there, we're beginning to sow something else. Uh, I think we've heard this. I don't have it written down, but sow an act, you begin to reap a habit. Sow a habit, you begin to reap Something else that leads into character and then it's a destiny is the way they put it. It's probably a very carnal thing, but it's very true. It's very true. It builds upon itself. Now, praise God, even if we have built up something in our lives 
or sown to something that we should not have. God is a wall-breaking God. He is a burweed-burning God. He clears out the land. He clears out the poison ivy. He will get on his hands and knees to pull out each piece out of your heart and out of your life because he is a good, good father. And he cares for us. And he wants us to walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. But most of all, the root to which my spiritual life comes from, that's the seed. That's the root, my relationship with Jesus. He's the vine, I'm the branch. As I abide in him, then I will bear much. For without him I can do nothing. Nothing. But as I abide in him, I bear much fruit. Because that life is coming in. And where does that come from? What's the first word? Abide. To remain. Our brother Emmanuel, he came up here and he gave a great word. Remain in God. And it was wonderful and it was so true. If we sow to our relationship with Jesus, we will, by the grace of God, have a harvest of the life of Christ. Not just of, wow, I'm doing pretty good today and, you know, I I don't covet or lust like I used to. Wow, look at me, I'm becoming a better Christian. You know, not just those actions that that we seem in America, you know, our culture we want to be able to measure. We love statistics, right? Look at the football players before the NFL, the college games. Six foot four, 235 pounds, this many interceptions. Like, we're like, yeah, 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 man, this guy is like a gladiator. And we love that kind of thing for ourselves. Fruit of the Spirit, patience check this check you know holiness oh yeah check 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 but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about a person i'm talking about the person of christ like tonight we experienced we sowed willing hearts and open hearts and what was manifest him self not just a feeling not simply an answered prayer all of that emanated from the person of jesus Jesus himself, Jesus himself. Now, as I abide, the fruit will come. Fruit of the spirit, the fruit of a healthy family, uh, healthy friendships and relationships, you know, positivity in my work and reviews and things like this as I'm sowing to Christ. All that's going to come, even a fruitful ministry, perhaps. But it is to Jesus. That is the harvest that we want is a harvest of him. Quality. Time with him. I was looking today. Uh, anyone ever heard of CrossFit? Yeah, a lot of people. It used to be kind of hidden back in the day. How about the Olympics? Olympians, right? Triathletes, sprinters, uh, long-distance runners. Three or four of these guys in various rankings, top 20 or 30. Interviews. I was looking, reading the interviews. How much do they work out every day? Because that's what we want to know, right? What do I have to do to look like Richard Froning or Matt Frazier or Usain Bolt or to run like him or to do this or have that physique? Tell me what to put in so that I can get out that. And what they said was so good. You know, a lot of people think that they can just go into the gym and spend a lot of time there and they're going to come out like this. One guy said, I spend six to seven hours every day working out. How he developed that endurance, no clue. The other guy that was right behind him at the CrossFit Games, though, said, yeah, I have a job. I work out one to two hours every day. And then the other guy, he said, yeah, I got a job and a family. Hour and a half in the morning, hour at lunch, and one or two at night. Whatever I get, get in, get out. And then the guy at the end said this. He said, you know, but here's the thing. The guy who works out an hour or two a day, he's not just walking around flexing in front of the mirror. You know, you got people who can do 
go to a gym for two hours and all they do is gab their gums. And a person who gets in and out in 30 minutes and says nothing does a whole lot more. We can be locked into a room for eight hours and never touch Jesus. We can be in the Bible and read it cover to cover and never know his presence, never hear his voice. It's not about the quantity. It's not about, well, B.H. Clendenin used to pray from 5 to 10 and then nap from 10 to noon. You know, he had five hours every day. It's not about that. It's not about what does Lee Ship do? How many books does he read a month? How much does he, he pray? How much does he fast? What about what God is telling us? You know, there was a man who, who spoke and there was a revival and he was speaking to these miners back in the early 1900s in Britain. And he said, you know what? I would love for you if you just took 15 minutes with God every day. 15 minutes. Can you imagine, if we're really honest, just 15 to 30 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes every day, but time with God. But that's not long enough. That's not long enough. It is when you meet with Jesus. If that's all you can give him at this time, if that's what he's demanding you, it can grow from there. But my goodness, again, like the man who only worked out one or two hours a day but was in the top ten as an athlete in that sport, he was wiping out the others because he had quality. And we can learn something from him. Our relationship is healthy not because we're doing things, but because we're simply abiding in the person of Jesus. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 9, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. <laughs> All the people who really know that book started looking up at me. What? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. End times are important. How many of us know that? End times. Fancy word for that? Eschatology. You can take that home tonight. It just simply means what we know about the end times, eschatology. Our end times is important. It was important to Jesus. It was important to Paul. It was important to Peter. It was important in every gospel. And it was important in every letter that was written. Some people have been burnt out and they, they feel like, ah, post-trib, pre-trib, whatever. I'm a, I'm a pan-theorist. However it pans out, whatever happens. And I'm not picking on you with that comment at all. There's no uh, nothing like that. But it's just this. It's important. It's important like Nick was saying, Nick Godshall, if you're here for that message, our future impacts our present. What is going to happen? The end result. In his case, he said, we are going to judge angels. Wow. How are we living now? But this is the end that was in mind for Paul. In 1 Thessalonians, he said, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Jesus is coming for you from heaven. That is what Paul told them. He was raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You're waiting not simply for an event. The rapture. But for a person. A person. Jesus. The one who died for you. Jesus. The one who shed his blood for you. My goodness. Bring me into more relationship with Jesus. Uh, you are waiting for the rapture. No, for his son. For his son. You're waiting for him. And it floods all over the pages of First and Second Thessalonians. And in everything. It was so important to, to Paul. 
that they would know that Jesus is coming. And guess what? That letter was written 20 to 40 years before the gospel of John ever made it first on, on you know, papyrus, on that material they wrote on. Before the ink ever hit the material that they wrote on back then, that letter had been written 20 to 40 years, and yet they said the same exact thing. John recorded the words of Jesus let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'm going to prepare a place. But I'm not just going to prepare a place. I mean, like, isn't it awesome? My, my boys, they love to go to their nanny's house. There's something special about the beds in nanny's spare bedroom that when they hit, they don't fuss. They don't complain. They settle down so much more than they do at their own home. It's just something sweet and special. The, the sheets are pulled tight for them. It's prepared for them. It's ready for them. And how much greater and how wonderful are the rooms is the dwelling place that Christ has prepared for me. And not just prepared for me. And somehow I have to arduously walk over mountains and broken glass in order to get to this place called heaven and paradise. But that he said that from that place of preparation in heaven, I am going to come again and take you to heaven. Is that what it says? What does it say? Does it say I'm going to come again and take you to heaven? What does it say? It says take you to myself. I'm taking you to me. Jesus says, this is personal. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. We're being drawn into a place of intimacy. And Paul was saying to the Thessalonians, just like John wrote 20 to 40 years later, the same exact thing to his audience. I want you to know that there's a person who intimately loves you. If we're being conformed into his image, if he shed his blood for us... I mean, my goodness, it says he intercedes for us. We talked about lamenting a couple weeks ago, how we can pour it out to him. That's pretty personal, right? And he shed his blood to make the way, and he goes between me and his father in order to talk to him for me and praise on my behalf. Don't we want to know him? I don't want just his benefits. They're wonderful. I want the peace. I want the joy. I want all of that. But I really, really don't want to meet him on our wedding day and say, I didn't know you that well during the engagement, as it were. Do you know what I mean? You know, we, we see that in the Bible, the picture of a bride and her husband. How awful would it be if they didn't get as close as they could in the time between the engagement and the marriage? I knew my wife for not that long. Uh, we, knew, we met each other in 2008. We knew each other for about three weeks, sitting in a church, Listening to preaching for about eight or nine hours a day at a little Bible course called the School of Christ. She went away back to Scotland. I thought I'd never see her again, though I liked her so much. I just thought, Louisiana, Scotland, oh, that'll never happen. And uh, a couple years later, God put her on my heart. And, um, you know, within two and a half months, we knew. And it was a long-distance relationship. Um, Zoom wasn't there. We had, what was it, Skype? Skype, that was, that was a long time ago. We had Skype. And, uh, you know, we got as close as we could, though, through email, through text, through video chatting. Whatever we could do, we wanted to be near each other. So that even though we lived literally a continent apart, separated by an ocean, we cared and loved for one another. I knew about her. 
when she'd visit me, I'd learn even more about her. And there is a king who's coming that we are betrothed to. And I want to know him. I want to know what he's like before I see him face to face. I want my heart to burn and say, I've waited for you. I've waited for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for everything that you've done. I'm closer to you than I was before. Oh, I want that. I want that for my life. I want to want him. And that, I think, is a very acceptable prayer to pray to Jesus. I want to want you. I want to desire this. Because I don't. Because when I look at my life and when I analyze through the word what I'm sowing to and by your spirit, I see there's lack here. But you said you're the one who works in me. Not just to want to do it, but to actually do it. So if we actually have a desire to be closer to Jesus, guess who's doing that? That, That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. He's already working. So don't throw yourself into the gutter. Because if your heart is yearning even right now and saying, yes, I want that. Yes, but I failed a million times. I don't know how to do it. That's okay. He's the one placing the desire in us. And he's going to be the one to help us to walk it out. He never gives his people a command and says, now perform it. He gives a command and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Temptations come and he says, no temptation is taking you except that which is common to man. Don't think it's strange whenever you go through fiery trials. All these things, he never abandons his people. If he did not abandon us to hell, but, you know, he came on a cross. If he didn't abandon us there, why would he ever abandon us now? Between here and eternity, why would he ever do that? 1 John 3, 2-3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him, in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. My future, the appearing of Christ, is compelling me to sow spiritually in a way where I reap a harvest, not just sometime in yonder year, five year, 10, 20, if we have that long before he returns, but, but reaping a harvest of Christ right now. I don't want to just hold out, hold my breath. You know, people in the sixties and seventies, I mean, some of y'all who live then, I just read about it. Y'all live through it and y'all know people quitting jobs. Jesus is coming back soon, like the Thessalonians. Paul had to rebuke him and say, get to work. Yes, he's coming, but you don't work, you don't eat. In fact, it got real fiery in letter number two. And he said, tell that person if they don't get off the chair and get to work, that they need to be kicked out of the church's discipline. But Christ is still coming. Christ is still coming. So we don't have this kind of just sit back mentality. That's not what we're told to do, but to press into the one who is coming now. To know him now. And yes, he is coming very soon. If we are told, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What about the one who is righteousness itself? If I hunger and thirst for him, I will be filled. If I'm told to knock, 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 ask, seek, knock, you will find, you will be answered, it will be given to you. Won't I be given the living bread? If I'm seeking him, won't I be given spiritual water to drink from? If I'm guaranteed all these lesser things, 
May they point me as sweet indications of Christ that I might desire him. This is what I want for me. I have in no way attained. I'm not there. Paul even said, Philippians chapter 3, I do this one thing. I forget everything behind me. Whether it was the persecutions of Christians that I did, whether it was the successes, the demon I cast out of that woman in that city, whether it's arguing with the people in Athens and, and, and even winning one of those philosophers to Jesus, whether it's planting churches, I forget all of it for one thing, one goal, a person, a person named Jesus by who, for whom he was captivated, captivated, captivated. What do I want my relationship to look like with Jesus one year from now? What about five years from now? Remember a year ago, five years ago, if we've been saved that long, what we had hoped our relationship would look like with him now? Right now was the future 10 years ago that we had hoped for. And it's not to bring any sort of condemnation, but I would ask myself, did I sow in such a way by his grace to reap the harvest of what he had spoken in my life? Not what I wanted to be, because I had dreams and aspirations and things that I thought that I wanted, that God has broken and crushed, and, and that is fine, and he has that. But whatever I heard from him that he wanted to do, have I allowed him to do it? It's not too late. The intimacy we wanted to have, the prayer life, even the ability to fast for more than a day and a half, you know, or we, we hit about 1 or 2 p.m. and we're like, oh, Lord, surely you don't want my blood sugar to be this low. Surely that is not your will that I would be this week and, and you know, snap at my wife and, and, and be hungry and feel these pains and not be able to pay attention. You want to know something I found is that any time that I used to fast when I was in the secular workplace, I was actually more productive and more focused on anything that I ever did on any day that I didn't fast. It was the weirdest thing because you had nothing else to think about except what you were doing right there. But he wants to do in us exceedingly abundantly all we can think or ask. Am I doing evangelism? Jesus is coming soon. Am I doing evangelism? Good. Keep doing it. Am I fellowshipping with the body more, as we're told in Hebrews, not to neglect it, but to go all the more as we see the day approaching? He's coming soon. Good. Keep doing that. Am I digging deeper into his word, being prepared to give an answer, learning more about things that help me to understand the word of God? Good. Keep doing it. But am I growing closer to Christ while I'm doing these things? Am I drawing nearer, becoming more intimate to the person, Jesus. And that is what I want us to be challenged with tonight. Can we open our hearts to Jesus? I don't know who's going to close tonight in worship, but if you would, please just come now. And I just want to open it up right now and just say this. The way I invest myself today will impact tomorrow. What I sow, I most definitely will reap this is not a plead to work real hard in our flesh. This is not a plead to say, I'm going to do this for God. Play the Rocky music in the background. You know, I'm going to do this because you're going to fail really quickly. I'm going to fail really quickly. There's no theme music for us except to your cross I come. To your cross I come. Just as I am without one plea, 
I know your blood was shed for me. That's our theme music. That's our theme music in this right here. To come move. To be silent before him. To let him do a work in us. Only God can bring the harvest. But I must sow by his grace. He does give the grace to do it. And I must not receive it in vain. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. But I what? I labored more abundantly than they all. He even meant more than Peter. More than all of them. I worked so hard. And then he says one more time, yet not I. Yet not I. But the grace of God that was in me. He had so opened his heart to Jesus. With that desire and that fervency and that passion. That Jesus poured into him grace that convicted him. That cut him. That told him you're not as near to me as you could be. doesn't matter that you rose people from the dead. I want to do a work in you. And so Paul gave himself to Jesus more and more and more with no promises, empty hands, but an open heart and probably whispering lips at times that just said, I want to be close to you, Jesus. I don't know how. Come near to me. Teach me what it means to be intimate. I hear Noah say it. It flies. It comes off of his lips. It sounds easily. It's not come to him easily. He's learned Jesus in a way that seems impossible for me. But just like our brother has said, it's not for the pulpit people. It's for every person who's been born again. So my prayer is this. God, show me what my heart looks like. Show me what you see. Don't let me just bash myself tonight. Don't let me set the bar too low. Let it be that I hear your voice. Because I'm going to hear, I'm going I'm to reap, reap a harvest. Jesus, I'll just give you this time. Father, I just I just give it to you, Lord. I, don't, I just give this to you, Lord. Just speak to us, please. Just have your way tonight. Thank you, Jesus.